There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. From AccuWeather.com, this is Everything Under the Sun. It's our weekly podcast featuring in-depth interviews with experts from AccuWeather and from around the world. Bringing you behind-the-scenes information, stories, and news on the weather, climate change, and the outdoors. Covering topics from the worlds of science, sports, and space. It's all the information you need to weatherproof your life. And now, here's the host of Everything Under the Sun, AccuWeather meteorologist, Dean DeVore. Friends, welcome in. Episode 5 of our fall series for 2022, and quite a lot to get to. First up in our first Rays of Focus segment, we'll talk with our chief meteorologist, John Porter, about Hurricane Ian, what it's done, what it will still do as we go into this upcoming weekend and beyond, and how this may have just transformed a lot of our country in ways that we may not even think about yet. Also, we'll talk about the response, the incredible response about the meteorological community here at AccuWeather and throughout to try to keep people up to date and safe. And then later on, this was going to be our first raise of focus, but with the hurricane, we thought we'd switch it around. But we will talk winter. Our chief long-range forecaster, Paul Pastelock, standing by in the second segment with the winter forecast. Friends, sit back and relax. It's time to talk about everything under the sun from AccuWeather.com. Friends, a special edition of AccuWeather's Everything Under the Sun here. This is episode five of our fall series and as is always the case when we're in early fall it is hurricane season and i'm welcoming in our chief forecaster john porter who is leading a uh, a ragtag bunch of folks who are tired who are emotional seeing what we've seen in florida as this drops yeah. yeah it's 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 hard um what we know that's going to happen is this podcast drops with people getting affected in first South Carolina and then up through North Carolina and then Virginia. And then um, this is tough, but I want to go back, John, to about 10 days ago. I've been hit with this company 25 years. I've had personal experience with this company all my life, which means it's better part of that 60-year anniversary that we celebrated so well last week. Mm-hmm. And when we talked to our founder and CEO, Dr. Joel Myers, and I would encourage if you haven't listened to that interview to go back because I think the founding principles of AccuWeather, which helped us in this very situation, were something that we upset a lot of people. And it seems to be the course now in life. When you get out with information that people don't necessarily want to hear, you upset them. And then you then they question whether or not you have the right to say that, right? And then I kind of – so what happened was about 10 days ago, we put out kind of a, a track map. The, the system hadn't had named – you know, at that point, it could have been Hermine. It could have been Ian. I don't know if it no, wasn't it was, much more than just a right, cluster right, of thunderstorms. Right, no, right? It was, right. So we put that out, and we got blowback. And I, I remember being out on the floor with some of our more junior team members. And it, it's it, it's hard when you're out on a limb on anything in life. 
with an opinion or an idea of something that could happen and it's not popular, it's hard to be there. And it sometimes was hard for... Even if it's the right place to be. If it's the right... Yeah. Sometimes it's even harder if it's the right place to be, right. right? So that's where AccuWeather was. I know a lot of people were... were and, and, and a lot of that had to do with, I think, the middle part of the, the hurricane season where it didn't do anything. And, and we kept waiting for something to catch and something to catch. And then all of a sudden... We saw some teleconnections. We knew it was going to explode. And here we are. We put out that track map of something that hadn't even formed yet 10, 11 days ago. And I'm not saying, look, that I'm, I'm not pounding my chest that AccuWeather was right. But what I'm pointing to is there are times when, even as meteorologists, we see small possibilities of big events in the future. It is our responsibility, in my mind, to communicate that. And I do believe that AccuWeather has done that in this last 10 days. That's right, Dean. Flat out, it's our job. It's it's AccuWeather. It's what we do. It's getting information to people that are in harm's way, giving them as much information about what we know, what the scenarios are, and informing them about that as far in advance as possible, well ahead of other sources. In this case, we provided that track map, track and intensity forecast to where we expected that to be what we expected to be a hurricane approach to approach Florida three days before any other source. And uh, Dean, it's interesting. I was uh, on the operations floor with our team. You know, we have a team of over 125 expert meteorologists here and we're focused on what you talked about. It's such a part of our DNA, getting information to people, people and businesses as early and as accurate as possible so they can make the best decisions. And there was a moment there when we were looking at all those teleconnections, the pattern that was setting up, the developing nascent cluster of thunderstorms. That's all it was. It was really hardly even a rainstorm yet at that point. But we saw the pattern developing and the expectation based on the wide variety of computer models that we use and all the other tools that we're looking at and the recognition of the pattern there was a moment where I looked over at Carl Erickson, who's one of our longtime uh, expert meteorologists here at AccuWeather and a couple other members of the team that were sitting at a particular spot in the operations floor, and we said, now is the time. Now. Yeah. Now is the time to get that track forecast out to let people know that what was just a cluster of thunderstorms would soon become a monster. And that was the concern, and especially so, Dean, in this kind of a year, as you said, where we've been – we had that long – lull, such an unusual lull in any tropical storm development anywhere in the Atlantic. Yeah, And we thought it especially important this year so that people would be prepared and that our forecast that there were still going to be U.S. impacts this year, which was in the back of our mind, Mm. we felt confident of that. We knew it was the time to get that message out. And so when you are, like I've always said here, you know, Dean, I've been here almost 20 years when when you're when you're so often the first and you're so often right like that, you're going to be out on the limb sometimes. Right. We were out on the limb on that eight to twelve inch snow forecast that we had for days and days consistently in New York City. In last New York winter, City yeah. last winter, right? Yeah. That was spot on. Joel brought that up last week oh, when we talked. Yeah, yeah. right. He did okay. talk about that. Right. right. So that's so when you're when you're in order to be right, you have to have the confidence in what you've got out. And that's exactly what we ran into in this particular case. Sure, we know there's going to be naysayers, but we notice they haven't been saying much here in the last couple of days. No, they haven't. And, and, and you know, honestly, too, you know, what I think the expectations for people are, 
they, they need to think about how we're giving them information in kind of a, a, a scenario where I hope what they think is if I'm four or five days out telling you that something may happen, I'm giving you a rough idea of right. impacts and possibilities. With the understanding that that might evolve. That may change. Right. And keep listening Correct. or reading or checking. This is where we are in meteorology now. I mean, to say that you and I can be prescient and tell exactly what's going to happen five days from now, I think neither of us would feel confident that we could do that five percent of the time or more. I mean, five days out is pretty hard. People know there's going to be an evolution. That's right. What I do think you and I and our team can do is give people a decent idea of, hey, look, it may be a good day, but there's this thing that's looming that may start to bring some rain. That's five days out. Oh, four days out. Oh, that rain looks much more likely. It's coming in. Here's it's the right. timing. Here's the timing. Yeah. Here's the impact. Here's the impact. Oh, right. three days. Oh no. Now we get to two days out. Oh, you know, that impact and that timing is a little different today. Now it's not so much the morning. We've had to shift it to the afternoon, but at least people were prepared. We may disappoint them that they made a plan a day ago that it has to <laughs> right, get shifted. Right, but right. that that's the nature of things. And so this is where the tools that we have and we try to use, I think it's also a responsibility sometimes for people to understand that. I got a little frustrated when I felt like there were people in Florida not paying attention to us. Right. When, well, I, when I saw people swimming in storm surge, that really, that really torqued me, John. Yeah, that's, that, that's unsettling. <laughs> you know, it's unsettling it to everybody. And I guess a couple of things... Um, uh, strike me about that, Dean, is to your point, as we got closer and closer to the event, you know, we had the forecast out ahead of any other sources we talked about, but we also had the descriptions in of our AccuWeather app surge. and in the, right. in, the, uh, yep. in the AccuWeather app's local hurricane tracker. I have so many people have told me how much they love that feature to be able to go in and look at not only the track of the storm, but where we expect the impacts, the rain, the surge, the damaging winds, but also the detail that we provide. I mean, we were talking about devastating, life-threatening storm surge in Fort Myers and Naples and all those surrounding communities. And the detail, not only just, and and then also the catastrophic flooding concerns that we had along and just south of the I-4 corridor, a densely populated part of central Florida from Tampa to Orlando, and then all the way up toward Daytona Beach and other areas, which were also heavily impacted by more than 30 inches of rain in some locations. So, uh, we had all of these descriptions and the details, and I think it goes back to just how people use that information in order to make the very best decisions. And I think one of the things I'm very careful about is that I know from talking to people and listening to interviews, people make decisions in hurricanes for a wide variety of reasons, right? And I think it's important to remember it's easier for some people to evacuate than it is for others. There are a wide variety of challenges that people face. Everybody has a different family situation. Right, a different family situation, situation, a different economic situation, right, right, that they might be facing. So um, it's there. I think it's always important to point out in these kinds of situations, there's a lot of reasons why people go and and sometimes why they stay, even despite all the best warnings and despite all the best urging from local officials. And it's another reminder, too, that certainly if you're in a mandatory evacuation zone, leave as soon as, as you can. But you don't have to be in a mandatory evacuation zone to evacuate, right? If you feel uncomfortable with what's going on, we recommend people, you can you can do that. You yeah. can move to a safer location. And so I think there's going to be a lot to learn with the response. And as you said, Dean, it's difficult to watch when we've uh, been talking about this days in advance and to see just the catastrophic devastation and the impact to people. 
it was such a scary night, mm. afternoon and mm. evening. Dean, you often talk about what does it feel to people to be in that moment? You imagine with that storm surge and some of the video we saw people that were swimming in their homes almost near the ceilings on the top floor. It's a real human tragedy. It is. Um, you know, and it's been a rough few weeks. Fiona, um, I have a family in Puerto Rico, and it's been devastating and problematic. And I've got uh, two friends that have lost their house down in Naples. Uh, so this has been intensely personal, and it's emotional for all of us as meteorologists. Sometimes we don't realize that till we sort of, mm. we're in the moment, yeah, right? And right. sometimes it takes a little bit longer for the... Uh, you know, as the, the, well, the adrenaline we know what's going right, right. We know right. what's going to happen, right? right? We see it in our mind. Right. But when you actually see the pictures and you see the reports of the people that are impacted, it's it's emotional. And Dean, as you said, it's tough. And, uh, you know, but this is the business we're in. And we yeah. know that, that providing the information that we did earlier than any other source, and it helped people. We've heard that. And um, that's what is drives us in our mission to have this information out and to be as localized and accurate as possible, and to describe the weather as well as we do. We got Paul coming up, and one of the things I, I start off with him, what the next couple of weeks looks like, because, I mean, the atmosphere keeps wanting to make these big spins. You know, we talk about yeah. hurricanes and right. stuff. We've had big spins, big upper-level lows going through other parts of the country. Right. This is not going to—it's not like it's going to tamp down immediately. No. We have to look and keep looking here over the next couple of weeks, and we've seen some ideas that there may be something else forming. Yeah, I don't think we're point. done with the hurricane season either, no. so let's not uh, let our guard down here. Uh, one of the things about the season, the way it's evolved, is that we've thought that there could be more activity in October and November than that which might be typical. So that's a call to action to stay tuned to AccuWeather.com. Watch those waves as you said, see if any of those develop into tropical storms or hurricanes. I don't think we're done with the hurricane season. Our uh, founder and CEO, Dr. Joel Myers, has uh, come out with his initial estimate of 100 to $120 billion. With a dollars. B. That's yep. a B. Thinking that that may be just at the scratching the surface now and looking at some of the new things since since those numbers came out. Right, have, right. Have you and Joel been talking about that? Right, we've bit? been uh, considering that and, and the damage obviously has been very substantial and so we're looking at the different data analytics that we have in order to decide if we're going to make revisions to that upward um, and that that's obviously something that we're considering on a hour-by-hour basis as new information becomes available. One of the things I often remind people in these situations is that Sometimes the hardest hit areas, we don't get data or reports on the ground for a several week, days because emergency, yeah. emergency and government officials are rightly so focused on rescue and making sure that uh, life safety uh, needs are handled right away before they start assessing the damage. So I think that uh, we're going to see, just based on the pictures, which have been very um, staggering in terms yeah. of the you know, homes uh, completely destroyed by the storm surge, uh, neighborhoods, uh, whole portions of Fort Myers and Naples and other surrounding communities, um, I think we're starting just now to get a sense of the scope of the disaster. And of course, we'll be looking at that uh, as we make our way through the next uh, several days, one of the things I think that is that we pointed out on that, and that's important, is because the greatest impact from surge, which was deemed 15 to 20 feet, as we had been accurately forecasting yes. in advance, yes. uh, was co-located with some of the most expensive mm. property right in that part of Florida. So you had an intersection of lots of people, lots of businesses, lots of infrastructure, with some of the storm's worst impact, where you know Bernie and I were on the air for 
several hours together during the day as the storm was making its landfall. And we kept talking about the incessant, persistent winds directing that water to the coast. And that's what led to that horrible storm surge. Yeah, it was a worst case scenario. And, uh, you know, kind of, and we can get into this debate about um, maybe the hubris of people thinking that they can hold uh, Mother Nature back. Uh, and, 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 you know, I think the, the reality is hundred year storms are now 10 year storms. Right. I don't want to look see at the, what we've had I, in the Gulf the last several years. I don't want right? to see the hundred year storm right. now. Right? right. I don't either. Um, I, for sure. Um, John, thank you. I know you and this team have put in a lot of effort, uh, and, and we have, uh, tried to do everything we could. And I know I, it, it's hard, as you said, with the emotion of seeing what's happening, but I feel good about that. And I know Me this too. team. I know this team keeps trying and, and striving to do what we set out to do every day, save lives, protect property, and make people have a better decision-making tool when they need to make those critical decisions. Well, Dean, I'm so proud of you and our entire team's work this week. Uh, it's really been uh, you know, across the entire AccuWeather team. You know, we have a, a team of over 500 people here at AccuWeather, and no matter what their role is in the company, you see in weeks like this yep. how everybody bands together drops what they're doing to support the efforts to get the word out. And that's always, for me, that's what I, uh, that's what I love about uh, being with our team here. I'm just so proud of everything that we've been able to do to get information out and work together in new ways. And, uh, you know, Dean, in a, to a football analogy that, that you'll appreciate, <laughs> we've left it all on the field this week. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think, uh, I think I need uh, about a five day nap after this <laughs> right. week's game. Um, John Porter, thank you. Our, um, chief Meteorologist, Chief Forecaster. Coming up next, our Chief Long Range Forecaster, Paul Passlock. Talk a little bit and, and, and kind of talk about the first next couple of weeks in terms of where hurricane season may go and then that transition into the winter forecast, which is dropping today. You can read it. And you can hear the insight from Paul. That's up next. This is Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Whether you're at home getting ready for work, packing the kids' lunch, or commuting, listen to AccuWeather Daily. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, and you'll get the top trending weather story of the day every day. Welcome back to Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. As we get ready for our second segment here, a great conversation with our chief forecaster, John Porter, in segment one. And now let's turn our attention to what was going to be our first rays of focus this week. The winter forecast for 2022. There's been a lot of kind of leaked information from other people about how bad they think this winter is going to be, especially in the middle of the country. Does AccuWeather think that? Let's sit down and talk to Paul Passlock here on Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. 
All right, Paul, here we go. You know, before we even get into the winter stuff, we're recording this on a Tuesday. We're dropping it on Friday. And in between, we're going to have a major hurricane coming into Florida that looks like uh, almost a a nightmare scenario that you go back maybe 100 years that we've had a a similar situation with this strong hurricane going in. Look, uh, we know in the hurricane situation that we had that big lull in the middle, but things over the last couple of weeks have really heated up. I think folks are going to wonder if there's going to be more coming as we get into the next couple of weeks in that season. Just some quick thoughts on that here over the next couple of weeks before we get into the winter stuff. As far as the tropics go here, uh, we're looking at, you know, one system here that's going to be causing still problems uh, along the southeast as far as flooding goes here for, you know, some couple days, some spots getting more rain than others. But then what's beyond that? We are watching another system that's over the South Atlantic, and it's going to probably pulsate fight through dry air, which has been the case all tropical season long. Uh, And it may have a chance as we go into next week, later next week, to take a a trip into the Caribbean. After that, it's kind of hard to say whether it just keeps going. There's a cluster of models says it goes west. Another one says it turns. But then we're in that, I think, that surge, the surge that we've been waiting for patiently here to get going. Uh, and it's going to probably continue. And you can look at forecast models just like this past event outweighing ahead and nothing's there. And then all of a sudden things start popping up. And I think that's going to be the case through the middle of October. And then after that, you may get one or two, uh, that could develop and it's going to probably get more homegrown. Typically what happens is you shut out the tropical wave train and things start to grow, you know, closer to home. And those are kind of harder to detect because they could just pop up unannounced. So that's the kind of activity we may be looking at the end of October, maybe even to the start of November. So it's it's interesting to me because I know we pay attention to the big spins out over the ocean because mm-hmm. that's a hurricane. We've had some big spins over land. Some <laughs> of these upper level lows that have yeah. been diving down. I mean, this one that's been going through the Great Lakes uh, towards the middle of the week and will be exiting pushing that trough down that will likely keep Ian as we go into the weekend, pretty trapped. It looks like in the Southeast. And that's your concern, you know, as we're dropping this on Friday, that we could be getting into that scenario where this thing's crawling uh, along and creating uh, opportunities for massive rain events in certain areas, just depending on where everything goes. And I'm also concerned that as you get into the early part of next week, there may even be some uh, a secondary low development up along the eastern seaboard because of the, the the stark nature of the difference between that warm, humid air and then that cool air that's been pushing down. So it's an interesting weather scenario, but it seems like right now, over the last couple of weeks, and I think these things don't sh- stop on a dime, the atmosphere wants to make big spins, right? And is that where we are in that? Is that is that a good way to look at it? Yeah, absolutely. And And one thing that we've connected with these big spins is what's been happening in East Asia and the North in the Western Pacific. Uh, there's been a lot of influence and there's a lot of teleconnection theories that go on to what could happen farther down the road. And the forecast models are slower to latch on until you get about four or five days on, out. And what we've seen is that this big, huge storm went up into the Bering Sea not too long ago. I don't know if you remember, and they talked about it in Alaska. 
uh, you know, the big, the big events that took place up there. Right. Well, 15 to 17 days later, whatever happens in the, uh, up there in uh, the Bering Sea, uh, a lot of times we see some type of formation similar, not exact, but similar uh, in Eastern North America. And I think we're seeing that with the upper level trough that's affecting the system right now and the energy that's coming in on the back side of it. It doesn't go away right away. No. So we're seeing that kind of teleconnection going on and it's working. So can that be a tool to use for the rest of the fall season? Possibly. And we'll continue to watch that area to see if we continue to see these drop-ins because that also helps with homegrown tropical development as right, well. Which is right, which is when we get over the wave train mm-hmm. and into where we still have. Now, one thing about Ian is it is going to go through what was really kind of uh, untouched waters for a while and and kind of churn that up. So that removes some of the energy from the eastern Gulf. The Western Gulf is still going to uh, still pretty darn warm, right? So there, you know, well, if something something gets over on that side in the next or or homegrowns in the next couple of weeks. That would have a lot of energy and fuel to work with to create something b- uh, bigger. Well, keep in mind when Ian really intensified, it not only went over warm water at the surface; it went yeah. over warm water that was re- really deep. The heat content was extremely warm and deep, and that means that, you know, yes, Ian went over that water, but is it a short-term effect of cooling down and turning those waters? Maybe what we're going to see here is that that water is still prime. And, right. and especially going over Cuba and not getting into that strait between the Yucatan and, and Cuba, where it's still pretty darn warm into the central Gulf, there's still a pathway if a system comes up that direction that we could have another big system uh, in the Gulf somewhere, like you were saying. And so the waters are really warm. I mean, the surface is near 90, but you got to look at the depth. And it, I think it can turn over pretty fast back to warmth after Ian goes. It's, it's the west coast of Florida that may have a more difficult time turning. So they may be more protected uh, from a bigger system again to follow based on that churning going on. So let's now push through fall and head to this winter forecast. Now, um, there are a lot of headlines, even the last, what, two, three weeks ago, some places came out with these uh, doom and gloom winter forecasts about how bad it was going to be. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we've always had a, a an idea of when we like to put these out in terms of seeing things evolve. And when you see those kinds of things, I'm, I'm, I'm not you know, when you, this is kind of a personal question, but when you see those kinds of things as a long range forecaster, do you feel that makes your job easier or more difficult? Yeah. Pressure on (laughs) pressure on, right. Right. Because, because people are expecting something, you know, and then either you got to take a tack that, you know, they're full of, and it's not going to be that bad or yeah, it could be that bad. And, you know, right. So it's, there's pressure in that. Well, I'll be honest with you. I mean, really, who can forecast a major winter storm from September for February? I mean, seriously, in the date, who can who can forecast that? That's very, very hard to do. Can you forecast the conditions that could set up for a major, you know, major winter storm during that time period? Yeah, possibly you can look at stuff in past years, and that's what we do. And that's what most of the long range forecasters do out there. But we're not going to get things exact. And sometimes these storms can make a difference from past systems, past patterns in other winters, and look at some of the forecast models 
taken with a grain of salt because they do actually change pretty drastically when you get closer in from three months out. But I, I think that when you look at this, I came up with two years. I had came up with a bunch of years, but two years stuck out. 2013-14 winter season, which was a Ooh. cold, Ooh. wintry, Ooh. nonstop winter. Yeah. And then you have 2011-12, which was completely the opposite. Almost. Right. How does that compute when you can have two analogs that you're thinking about that are totally opposite? Well, you look at those years and you dissect them and you try to find out, okay, what caused this to go this route if a lot of the other things were similar? You know, sea surface temperatures were similar, but the intensity of La Nina, when it weakened, when it didn't, uh, those things change. And we look at those kind of, you know, smaller things and that kind of leans one way or the other. And we're leaning towards that 2011-12, unlike some folks that are leaning the other way. Earlier in the season, like in August, the warm blob showed up. The right. warm blob back from 2013-14 that caused the major amplification of the pattern, which gave us the big snowstorms that we saw on the East Coast. And this is, uh, when you say a warm blob, that's a warm blob of, of water over the ocean? Right, right. Good. Yeah, good, Dean. Uh, yeah, it was. A, it's an above normal area of water that's... Uh, that was between Hawaii and Alaska. And that's it, not it, typically it, where we look at where right. La Nina is. That's farther south and west in the Pacific, right? Yeah. And, and, it, and the split in the jet stream was more extreme and caused an amplified pattern back then. Well, that warm blob kind of phased out. It kind of just stretched out now. It changed. So a lot of people that were making their predictions were looking at that and saying, well, maybe that's going to stick around. Well, now it's gone. Now it could still come back, but that makes a difference in your ideas and your forecasts. I mean, this is how things can change. And that's why we continue to look at stuff and update things as we go along. Again, it, it, to me, this year, there's going to be a couple things that we have to watch. The intensity of La Nina, which should peak out here in late fall, early winter. Well, but we've been thinking that this La Nina was going to peak mm -hmm. out. I mean, is this one of the most persistent La Ninas we've had? I mean, in the, since you and I've been looking at the weather, or uh, well, you can. There was there was the same scenario that set up back in the early two thousands. Um, uh, it, it just this long we haven't. We've only seen one or two events that have taken place like this, right? And but they all acted different, okay? Because <laughs> there are other factors were weighed in, and we're not right. This is, this is the thing that we're learning, right? Back in the day when we only knew three of these things, it was right. so easy to point, and then. Now we know 10 of these things, or now yeah. we know 20, or now in a, in a couple of years, we may know 40 of these things. And then, then you have to go back and piece together how, okay, well, we had this and that's all we knew, but now we know we have this and how did that relate? So, right. Did I get that right? Did I yeah. Explain it's that? like you're starting to pull in the polar vortex, the yeah. sudden stratospheric warming events, the volcano, the, the Tongo volcano that just happened in January 15th. You know, everyone's bringing that to attention. I am looking at it. I'm researching it because it may do the opposite of what we were told that volcanoes do. <laughs> they usually see the results of cooling right. in the atmosphere next to it. This one had a lot of water vapor in the stratosphere, which we haven't seen like this 5 to 10%. So, so you're telling me, Paul, yeah. the more I know the more complicated this gets and really the less I know about this <laughs> stuff. I mean, and that's kind of the sometimes sheet. where I feel like we are as a meteorologist. The right? sheet gets bigger and bigger. The right. sheet gets bigger and bigger to check <laughs> off. You know, that's the way it is. It's, it's right. amazing. And that's why 
I have a huge team because I got different people looking at different things. And that's why we all come together and make a, you know, a, a consensus forecast out of that. What's right. stronger? So, what signals better? You know what I right. mean? Right. So. so let's, let's, I mean, I, we, we could get, I think sometimes we get to can get too detailed with this. Let's give some highlights to some mm-hmm. people. Let's start in the Northeast. And by that, I would say New England down to, let's say, Pennsylvania, New York City, Pennsylvania, up through New England. Let's talk about that as the Northeast. Talk to me about uh, some of the highlights about AccuWeather's winter forecast. Well, I think let's let's even include the late, the mid to late fall here, because we will see some colder air masses come down on occasion uh, out of the north here in October. Uh, but not affecting the plains in Midwest, kind of coming straight out of the north. So Ooh. don't be surprised that you have a couple of cold nights that you got to turn that heat up a little bit in October. Although I think most of the, the period, it's not going to be all that bad outside of, you know, any tropical threat. So, but I think that we're, we're getting close to the end of that at the end of October. But November, still unsettled. I mean, we've seen past years show the potential for some type of early season snow event in the interior Northeast. And that's not out of the realm of possibility, especially from Northern Pennsylvania into the interior Northeast. Right. Then middle of the winter, there's not a whole lot going on. December and early January, maybe we may not have a lot going on, maybe some weak events and, you know, occasional chill, but nothing Arctic in nature. And then it could be a back end winter where maybe late January or into early March, we have a, you know, a bigger two system that we're, that we're talking about kind of like the tropic tropical season, you know, it's kind of, you know, quiet and we're waiting and things are delayed and all of a sudden, boom, we get hit. And that could be the case here in the Northeast. And, and again, because, you know, you have two analogs that are kind of opposite. Mm-hmm. If it were to go the opposite way and some of the things that you were seeing and you were going to that 2013, 14, as I remember that one, mm-hmm. we flipped right about the beginning of the year. And I think there was like where we are in state college, 12 weeks, I had snow on the ground or something. It felt like that. Right. It was or yeah. did it even go colder earlier than that. But it was it was one of the longest periods for me that winter to have just constant lake effect, uh, a couple of inches here or there. And it just kept staying around because it just it never got that warm. Right. Right. And I think we'll go through a period of that maybe later in January. Um, I do think there'll be some cold and there'll be some lake effect, late season lake effect um, that does come into play. But I don't think it's a big lake effect year. Uh, I just think temperatures are just not cold enough to have persistent lake effect. I think it's it's OK, but it's not great. So it um, may come more in batches and bursts. right? Yeah, I think so. And that's and then, sometimes more dangerous. Right, Paul? Because right. Yeah. The lakes don't get frozen over. We've seen that. And then we get all this energy and boom, you can have an explosive mm-hmm. situation. And then and speaking of explosive, I mean, the water temperatures, if they're not disturbed at all from the tropics, they're way off the charts off the New England coast, especially eastern New England coast right now. And if we were able to get in a La Nina pattern, some of these systems that come down to the northern track and hit that warm water, Big that's what I'm looking out for for late yeah. January and early March. And, and that's why if you see our snow map on AccuWeather.com, you can see that we have kind of an above normal snowfall in New England, but we have it below as you get farther west. And so that's the potential that could be growing as we go later into the season. So big coastal storm possibilities, you think, as we get mid to late in the winter season up along the eastern seaboard. Right. And it covers for the 2013-14 season as well, yeah. which is still in the package. It just right. 
less weight right no, now. No, I so. got you. I got you on that. Yeah. All right. Let's move down to the southeast. So, uh, well, anything for the mid-Atlantic? I mean, sometimes we give them short shrift and they've gotten some big snowstorms in the past few years. That area from mm-hmm. D.C. down into the Carolinas. Probably let's let's stop there. Anything in that area back to maybe Tennessee or so? I don't think it's like last year. I think things are less less active uh, as far as snow goes and ice. Um, I do believe that that's going to be the case. I, I think it's going to be mild, uh, especially if, you know, the front part of the uh, winter season across the Southeast. Uh, I, I just don't see, uh, you know, the, the big dip, persistent dips in the jet stream getting into the East. Now we may have, you know, one of those sneaky cold air masses come down behind one of these big systems on the East coast that gets down into there. But at this point, I'm not going crazy as far as amount of systems. One, maybe two across Mississippi, Alabama into the Southern Appalachians, but three, four, five, like we've seen in recent past now. Yeah. I don't see that right now. How about severe weather with some of that colder air starting to push down there? Uh, uh, that, you know, that fall severe max that we see sometimes. Yeah. Best chance, Jan- uh, best chance December and February. I think January is a little more stable. Right. Um, but uh, December. In February along the Gulf Coast and into Florida um, might have a chance. But again, it's not going to be like every week we're talking about it. It'll probably right. be hit and miss. Let's go over to the Southern Plains and then start moving up northward from Texas. Give me Texas and then up into the Central Plains mm-hmm. there. Your thoughts about that area? <laughs> Texas, you know, the last two years, we've had a huge cold snap. The first one, the first mm-hmm. line, it was the big one. And then the right. second one uh, was not far behind, but it didn't do as much damage. I think they were a little more prepared for it. I can't see why we can't have another one like that. Maybe more uh, confined to central West Texas than East Texas, but still, uh, I would not be surprised late in the winter that we have one of that. Meanwhile, before that, uh, you know, near to above normal temperatures, uh, probably expected with very weak systems coming out of the uh, interior Southwest and lifting out ice. Uh, maybe more prevalent farther north in the central plains uh, at times, uh, especially if a storm track develops from the Mississippi Valley through the Ohio Valley midwinter. I think that might be an area of the watch for some ice events, Oklahoma City, Kansas City, uh, those places. But any farther south, I think, is limited. And then snow. I mean, the best periods to get some heavier snow, if that storm track does develop, northern Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, uh, could be in a prime area to get some good good snow events. So Northern Plains, Western Great Lakes, you know, a lot of ideas. That's the area that I heard, you know, they call it, I think one headline was it could be like the Arctic, you know, it'd be like an icebox, like a freezer. It could just freeze over and be frozen over all winter with snow and ice and that kind of stuff. Well, I'm um, not sure how, how cold it is, but I mean, I think it could be stormy. You don't need stormy, to have right. really Arctic air. Arctic air actually brings lots of dry air. And so right. you end up getting sometimes less than normal snowfall. So right. uh, it's even kind though of the rates are higher, it's still harder to make that snow in that drier air. Right. But you're saying more like mixy, icy, but uh, maybe dumpy snows, too, in that area that with just mm-hmm. chugging energy coming out of what the Rockies and then just cutting across the plains and up towards the Great Lakes, that kind of storm track. Still got La Nina going on. La Nina brings northern track systems, the heaviest yeah. lakes to dump in the northwest and western Canada. But they still have energy, and they still can get the Gulf of Mexico involved as well. And that's where the meetup uh, period is going to be. Plus, this La Nina changes a little bit in its orientation in the, in the Pacific. And uh, some of those years that we looked at that looks like that 
kind of tends to pull the storm track into the Ohio Valley back toward the Midwest. So you talked a little bit about the lake effect for, I think, the eastern parts of the Great Lakes. When we think of the traditional snow belts there, I think, uh, you know, uh, Erie to Buffalo Mm -hmm. and, of course, off of Lake uh, uh, Ontario as well. But uh, the central and eastern Great Lakes have a little bit of different orientation sometimes with wind and get lake effect problems. Uh, Similar situation there that maybe uh, less than... Uh, abundant lake effect or or what are you seeing for say uh, off of lake superior and lake michigan in those areas this best chance lake superior ironwood i think that has a better better shot the orientation behind the storms the backlash mm. that sets up um that, that northeast wind that kind of howls around and then and then, then pushes it, that right uh, yeah those, those yeah, areas think, that are have north shore situations right. off the lake yep yeah, I think that's the best area. I again, I just don't think it's cold enough during the prime time of lake effect season for eastern parts of the lakes to get going. I think it's just kind of like normal moderate type of uh, cold that comes in. When the cold comes in, it dries out, so it's not much going on. It's like it's like the timing's off. I think for eastern lakes, but I think it's better in in Lake Superior region. So we went into the summer forecast you were honest and said, this is one we got to keep checking in on, right? That, yes. um, mm-hmm. Do you feel the same way with this winter forecast, that this is one that we need to keep doing benchmarks as we go through? And if we see something a little different than we thought, that we may have to change the analog idea to the direction, some direction one way or the other. Yes, I do think we still need to for a couple of reasons. This winter, the La Nina will be weakening, though it takes time. It's a, there's like a lag. So you still have La Nina conditions, but you may have some type of other setups where other you know, factors come more involved. And then you got so much going on. We don't know what the response of the volcano back in January is going to be on the atmosphere up above. Does it continue to warm the stratosphere or cool the stratosphere? And that's a big thing for the polar vortex. Does it weaken the polar vortex? Does it strengthen it? A weaker polar vortex allows cold air to escape from the pole and hit farther south. And that can be a big, huge turnaround for the winter season. We think it's stronger for mid-season, but, you know, things can change. And so there's so many other little factors, and I don't know if they can be called little now. They can be called little now, but they could be big factors later that that can mess up the forecast. Yeah, I think what you're saying is we have so many more factors that, that, that what we thought was most important before it's important may be less but then we have others that we're still trying to sort out necessarily their level of importance so again back to what i brought up earlier it seems like sometimes now with more information but the good thing about that is paul i think we're can get surprised less because you now can see well it this is one of those it could go this way or this way let's keep an eye on it and then if you see some of those things that you were worried about you can change the forecast. And, yeah, we can uh, react better. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. so so I think you know it's a catch twenty two. Some people may perceive this as less accurate, but I would say it's yeah. more accurate because in the past, I don't know if we miss, we miss. We didn't get the signs, you know. Like you know, halfway through the winter, there was nothing we could do about it, right? So, and, and I hear a lot of folks trying to use like the European model that goes out seven months, the monthlies, and say. You know, they they take it verbatim. They you know back in in August and September, the best thing to do is to watch the trends trends of that yes, model because yes. that will guide you better in a right direction than 
then I've seen some opposite occurrences happen when you look at the model in October, when you compare it to what really happens in January, February. I mean, I've seen so many opposite things, but the trend leading up to it is really good. And so I've seen I opposite occurrences on modeling from two or three days out you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anymore. I mean, honestly, yeah. but I think uh, this still goes to the battle that some of us fight in the office, the more experienced versus the less experienced. They've, uh, you know, I'm not going to paint everybody in this corner in the less mm -hmm. experienced group, but they tend to go with the model data and just, yeah. you know, pick which is the best model. And sometimes I just want, you know, Bernie brought up a good thing the other day. Get yourself to this point in the forecast and ask yourself, really, is it meteorologically possible or what the, the models are telling you? Yeah. And too many times, I think the models are telling us meteorologically impossible things, and sometimes we ignore them. And Well, that's uh, why I look at the analog years. I have yeah. about a set of years, and I say, well, this happened because th during this year, for when this happened, you know what I mean? And it's there. It's It already happened. So I take both into account. I, I, I mean, I look at them very carefully and with same equal perspective, and and then I go from there. But uh, the analogs have been tough this year because they're so opposite sides of the spectrum thing. Right. You know what I mean? So, well, you know what? I'm not going to hold you to everything you said now. We'll check in in a few weeks and see how we're doing. How's that? That sounds good. Paul, thanks to you and your team for all the great work that you do. And we appreciate it. And we'll keep up to date with it and check in again here soon on Everything Under the Sun. All right, friends, a reminder that that winter forecast is now out. As this podcast drops on Friday, our AccuWeather winter forecast is out on our website. We'll have a link to that in our notes section. And you can uh, just search AccuWeather winter 2022 forecast. If you don't get to the link section, you can just search that and you'll see it. It's uh, bright, bold, and beautiful. Paul and the Long Range team have been working very hard. Friends, that'll do it for episode five of our fall series here in 2022 of Everything Under the Sun. We appreciate everybody's help. Thanks to John Porter, our chief forecaster, and Paul Passelog, our chief long-range forecaster, for all that great information. Friends, next week we hope to have National Weather Service Chief Ken Graham with us to talk about a very exciting announcement about AccuWeather and the partnership with the National Weather Service. And also... Um, just a, kind of a recap of Ian and how his folks, like our folks, have been working so hard to keep everybody safe. I want to give a big shout out to all of our team members here at AccuWeather. You know, there's meteorologists who are preparing the forecast. There's so many frontline communicating meteorologists. And then there's people that work on the graphics, on the broadcasts, on the audio, on the video, on our infrastructure, both uh, internally and externally. It's an amazing family of people who I know take this personally, and I know I've worked very hard, and I'm going to get a little emotional now because this has been an emotional week to see the lives lost and the damage done. And that's what we do this year for at AccuWeather. That's our mission to try to save lives and property uh, any way we can. And we are really indebted to all those people behind the scenes that work so hard, including my executive producers, Ken Prell and Andrew Robb. For all of us with AccuWeather, thanks for listening. I'm meteorologist Dean DeVore. We'll talk to you next week, episode six of our fall series on everything under the sun from AccuWeather.com. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. 
Be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review Everything Under the Sun on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And of course, if you have an idea for a future podcast, just email us at accuweather.podcast at accuweather.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.